are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Can I tell you how glad I am that you are here today and how excited I am to share this message with you. Um, I came to church years ago needing to be forgiven, and I left a very different person. I loved hearing the stories of the people who are being baptized today. We all have stories that describe how we've lived our lives and what we've experienced, sometimes choices we've made. And so a few years ago, I discovered a story that I absolutely love, and I want to share it with you today. So lean in. I think you will uh, I think you'll love the story, okay? John Blanchard stood up from the bench, straightened his army uniform, and studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he had never seen. She would be the girl wearing the rose. So his interest in her had begun 13 months earlier. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued in a Florida library. Not with the words written in the book, but the notes penciled in the margin. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and an insightful mind. And in front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name. You ready? Miss Hollis Maynell. With time and effort, he located her address. She lived in New York City. So he wrote her a letter introducing himself and inviting her to please correspond with him by mail. Well, the next day, he was actually shipped overseas for service in World War II. And during the next year and one month, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling onto a fertile heart. A romance was beginning to bud. Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. Uh, She felt that if he really cared, it would not matter what she looked like. And so when the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting, 7 p.m., Grand Central Station in New York City, New York. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7 o'clock he was in the station looking for the girl whose heart he loved but whose face he had never seen. A young woman, Blanchard writes, was coming toward me. Her figure was long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness. And in her pale green suit, she looked like springtime had come alive. I started toward her entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. And so as I moved uh, closer to her, a small provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. And almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her. And then I saw Hollis Maynell. She was standing behind almost directly that girl. She had grain hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump. Her thick, ankled feet were thrust into her low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking away quickly. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned me and upheld my own. 
And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a worn and kindly twinkle. I did not hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but, but it would be something precious, something perhaps even better than love, a friendship for which I had been and must be forever grateful. And so I squared my shoulders, I saluted, held out the book to the woman, even though while I spoke I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Maynell. I'm so glad to meet you. May I please take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is about, she answered, but the young lady in the green suit who just went by, she asked me to wear this rose on my coat, and she said if you were to ask me out to dinner that I should tell you that she's waiting for you in the restaurant across the street. (laughs) She said this was all some kind of a test or something. I love the story. I'm nuts about the story, and the reason I am is because it's one of those stories where somebody is tested And they pass the test. I mean, it ends awesome. It's where the guy gets the girl and everything. It's like you want stories to end, right? I would give anything if I could tell you that's the way my story always ends. When I'm tested. I I wish I could say that's the way it happens to me every time. But the truth of the matter is that's not how it happens to me every time. Because many times through my life I have been tested. And there are many times where I have failed the test. And sometimes it's not such a big deal. It's, you know, lightweight stuff. It doesn't really alter my life that much. But sometimes it's really big because sometimes I failed Jesus. It's Simon Peter's story. You may know it. Simon Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was excited about being in this new thing Jesus was doing. It was a movement that was turning the whole country on its heels. And Simon Peter is one of the twelve. And Jesus tells them one day, you know, probably at some point all of you will walk away from me. You'll deny even knowing me. And Simon Peter says, hey, 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 not me, man. I will walk with you all the way, buddy. I will stick with you until the end. In fact, Simon Peter says, listen to this, really big stuff. You ready? He says... I would die with you before I would deny you. I mean, those are big words, aren't they? I don't care if it costs me my life. I will always be beside you. And then things just got crazy. It was a riot. It was a crowd. They had murder in their eyes. Somebody was going to die. And Simon Peter tried, and he failed, and he tried again, and he failed, and he tried a third time. And he finally said, I have no idea who this Jesus guy is. It's the first time I've ever seen him. I'm not one of his followers. I don't know what you're talking about. And he knew. And Jesus knew. And he knew Jesus knew. He felt Jesus. You see, that's, that's my story. There's been times since I've been following Jesus that I've failed Him too. In fact, the person who's sitting beside you this morning, it's their story also. Since they started following Jesus, 
They failed him. And the truth is, it's your story. Everybody has let Jesus down at some point. And so what do you do when you've let Jesus down? You know what I'm saying? What, are there provisions for that? Years ago I was reading a book that I fell in love with and I read a sentence that I've repeated as often as I can repeat it. And it's simply these words. They're from a guy named Max Licato. Jesus never passed up an opportunity to forgive. It just describes what Jesus is like. Jesus loves to forgive. And Jesus never, never, never passed up an opportunity to forgive. I love all these things about Jesus. Jesus would spend days with sick people, healing them. He would often slip away early in the morning to pray. Jesus was awesome. Jesus memorized Scripture like crazy. Jesus loved children. And Jesus never, 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 ever passed up an opportunity to forgive. That's big stuff for you and me. So, i got to share a story with you, okay? We're in the third week of Easter, and we've been walking with John through his narrative, and uh, he continues the story. And so here we go in chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. So just set back again for another awesome story. So afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. It's actually the third time that Jesus appears to these guys. By the Sea of Galilee, 75 miles north of Jerusalem. It happened this way. I like John's way of telling the story. So this is how it happened, okay? Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Galilee, from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others, which one was John, who was writing, were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter said. It's kind of hard. I mean, didn't you leave fishing and the boats and the nets to follow Jesus? I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. Next slide. And they said, We'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. I've had many fishing trips like that. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. John, wanting you to know it was his transformed body, he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. So here's what he said. Well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of all the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning John, said to Peter, Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. Odd to us because we take clothes off to go swimming. He put them on, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciple followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. About a hundred yards when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. And there with fish on it and some bread, Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have some breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And so Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. 
This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now here's the forgiveness story. You ready? When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Must have been a powerful moment. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know all things that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Must have been a powerful moment. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Must have been a powerful moment. And then Jesus prophesies. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Peter, follow me. So my wife Annette is here, and uh, we've been married for 33 years, we think. We always get confused, but somewhere around there, it's been a glorious ride. And um, I remember when I met Annette, I, I, just, I just fell in love immediately. I was taken so aback by Annette that the first time I took her home, and I'd maybe taken a couple of other gals home in the past, I said to my mom, Mom, this is the one. And my mom says, haven't we heard that before? And I said, yeah, but this really is, I promise you. I remember the first time that Nat and I went on a date. Toward the end of the date, I'm trying to decide how I handle this, you know. Do I kiss her? Do I not kiss her? Do I ask her if I can kiss her? And I was a little bit nervous and maybe a lot nervous. And so I decided I was just going to give her a gentle kiss on the lips and walk away. Just vanish into the night. <laughs> leaving her wanting so much more. So, I don't know what happened. If I would have kissed her on her cheek and vanished, it would have been awesome. If I would have kissed her on her lips and vanished, it would have been awesome. But somehow, I kind of kissed her on the corner of her mouth. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But I know that I handled it really well. I covered it. Don't worry about it. I took care of it. As I'm walking away, I said, shoot, really loud. So I was good. You know, I'm smooth. As I'm walking down three flights of stairs, she's opening the door to go in, and I hear her laugh, and her friend Julie say, What? And Annette says to Julie, He missed my mouth. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, it wasn't one of my greatest moments, okay? I've had times in my life when I went, That came off really well. That was one of those times when I said, Not one of my greatest moments. You've probably had those in your life, too. I think maybe one day I should preach a sermon series called Not My Greatest Moment, How to Handle Failures. So, Simon Peter has had not his greatest moment. In fact, it's awful. He's let Jesus down. Sometimes we do things and we say, not great, but in the scheme of our lifetime, it's no big deal. It happens. But sometimes we have not my greatest moment, and it carries incredible, incredible weight. 
Why are they going fishing? I don't know. Maybe they don't know what else to do. Although Jesus has appeared to them twice, they're kind of like sheep without a shepherd. We don't know what to do, but what we do know to do is fish. So maybe we just go back to Galilee and we just fish some more. It's where Peter was raised. He knows this sea. He knows how to fish it. But he catches nothing. So what I want you to do is think with me a little bit about how you would feel if you were in his shoes. You have not yet had this come to Jesus meeting. You've messed up really bad. You know it. Jesus knows it. But you and Jesus have, although you've seen each other twice, you've not talked about it. He's got unfinished work. Can you imagine after that Thursday night when Peter says, I don't know the man, and he actually curses? Can you imagine how he feels? Can you imagine finding him the next day? He's got his knees on his elbows on his knees, his face in his hands, tears in his eyes. Peter, what happened to you last night, man? I don't know. It got crazy, okay? They were going to kill somebody. I got scared. I messed up. Have you ever had those mornings? I don't know what happened. I blew it. I really let Jesus down. Ever since I started following Him, I never thought I would ever let something like that happen, but I let it happen. In fact, I caused it to happen. I hate myself. I don't know how you fix this. I messed up. The truth is everybody has been there. And I guess I want to encourage you a bit with these words that we have all let Jesus down. And we have all stood in the need of forgiveness. I'm telling you, the person sitting beside you, since they started following Jesus, they've let Jesus down. And since you've started following Jesus, you've let Jesus down. And since I've started following Jesus, I've let Jesus down. So we would linger here, but you're going to love this. This is a really bad dad joke, okay? But Jesus has other fish to fry. Yeah. I knew you'd love that, especially all the younger people. You're going crazy. You're probably, you know, sharing that on social media even now already. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that Jesus always comes to us. It's the story of the incarnation, right? It's the story of God. It's Christmas. God comes to us. And so last week we talked about when Thomas was doubting, what does Jesus do? He comes to Thomas. Don't you love this? And now that Peter's let Jesus down, Jesus comes to Peter. They don't know it's Jesus at first, but they learn later. They understand that it's Jesus. Hey, you guys caught anything? Nope. Fished all night. We got nothing. We've caught the goose egg. Cast your net on the right side. You'll catch plenty. Why would they do that? Do they think that he can see a school of fish from the shore that they can't see? I don't know. But they do it. And John looks into the catch 
He looks back at the shore. He looks back at the net. And he says, hey, Simon Peter. And Simon Peter is too busy to even hear him. Simon Peter, what? Look at the catch. I am. I'm in the catch. Look back at the shore. He looks back at the shore. It's the Lord. And Simon Peter looks back and he takes off into the water. And then he runs to Jesus on the shore. When Jesus comes to you, after you have let him down, it is all right if you want to run to him. Oh, I thought I would get something out of that right there. When Jesus comes and finds you, because He will, after you've let Him down, He always comes to you. When Jesus comes to you, after you have let Him down, it's all right if you want to run and run into those big arms of His. I believe there is somebody this morning looking at me saying, Rick Harvey, you have no idea, man, how badly I want to just run and fall into the arms of Jesus And I just want to put my head on his shoulder and hear him whisper into my ear, it's okay, I forgive you. When Jesus comes to find you, and he will, after you have let him down, it's okay if you want to run to him and fall into his arms and hear him say into your ear, it's okay, I forgive you. I love to eat more than most people probably. I talk about food all the time. Oh man. I had this chicken salad on a croissant last night that was just to die for, you know. When I can't strike up conversation with people, I just start talking about food. Everybody talks about food. I can't tell you how many times people have cooked for me and it always humbles me to go into somebody's kitchen and they're just working hard to make a meal for me. When Annette cooks for me, I'm just grateful. I've had people cook for me and they didn't even eat themselves. Guatemala. Swaziland, Africa. Lima, Peru. They would set their best of food in front of me and they didn't eat. You ready for this? I don't think you're ready for this. Do you know where this is going? Do you have any idea where this is going? Jesus is at the grill. He's at the fire. Jesus is cooking. Well, well, I thought Jesus would be like sitting in some kind of elevated chair, right? I mean, He is the Son of the living God, for heaven's sakes. No, no, no. He is the guy at the barbecue that's flipping the burgers with the smoke in His eyes. That's Jesus. He cooks for you. He's not saying, serve me. He's saying, no, no, I came to serve you. And can you imagine him going over to all the disciples? Hey, Peter, you want some more fish? Thomas, take a piece of this bread. I toasted it real nice for you. Could you eat some more? No, Jesus, I'm good, man. I've had all I can hold. You sure? I wonder if it's difficult for Peter. I wonder if he can't even look him in the eye. I wonder if he spends most of his time looking out at the sea. I wonder if his throat's tightening. I wonder if his eyes are filled with tears. And as he hears the water lap up against the shore and he swallows the last bite of food, he hears Jesus say, 
Hey, buddy, you want to go for a walk? We know they walked because John says later he followed them from a distance. Hey, you want to go for a walk with me? And Peter says, sure. What does Jesus do? He goes right to the heart of his pain. Is that why sometimes we stay away from Jesus? Is that why sometimes we tend to avoid him? I don't want to deal with it right now. Anybody right now saying, man, I came to church on Sunday morning. I didn't want to deal with this stuff and now I'm having to deal with it because Jesus has come to me already right here and he's already gone to the heart of my pain. Okay, let's talk about it. He asked him three questions. You remember there were three denials. Is that significant? Do you love me? Or do you know? I love you. No, come on. Do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Do you, do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. Okay. Some preachers spend a lot of time talking about the Greek words agapeo, phileo. Do you love me with an act of the will? Yes, I love you like a brother. Do you love me like an act of the will? Yes, I love you like a brother. Do you love me like a brother? Yes, I love you like a brother. Most say it's probably not significant. It was just the way John was writing. Here's what is significant. Okay? I uh, was taking some, uh, working on a degree years ago at a school in Kentucky, the great state of Kentucky, home of the Kentucky Derby. I'll just wait for the applause to die down and then I'll go on. <laughs> And it was a class where you, you go at 8 in the morning, you settle 5 in the afternoon, and you do that Monday through Friday. It was a module. And so um, the very first morning, Steve or David Siemens, I'm trying to remember, it was the sun. Says, I've been praying and fasting about this time we're going to spend together. I was impressed. You're going to fast and pray for me because you're going to have me in your class? That was awesome. I want you to learn what God wants to say to you. And here's one of the things I learned in that class. Here's what he said. He said, it's not like you have a ministry and I have a ministry. And you have a ministry. And you have a ministry and you have a ministry. And the church over there, they have a ministry. And the church in Africa, they have a ministry. And then this parachurch ministry, they have a ministry. And then downtown at the mission, they have a ministry. It's not like that at all, he said. No, no, no. We all share in Jesus' ministry. That's the way it works. There's just one ministry. It's Jesus' ministry. And so he says, when I'm on an elevator in a hospital going up to pray with someone who is ill, I do not pray, God bless my ministry. I pray, Jesus, thank you for using me in your ministry. So when Jesus responds to Peter, you know what he says? You're back in the game, man. 
I want you to share in my ministry. (laughs) I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take care of the lambs. He doesn't say, hey, I'll tell you what, it's okay, buddy. We'll move on from here. I can get past this if you can. He doesn't say, you know what, Peter, I'm going to forgive you, but don't let it happen again, okay? He doesn't say, you know what, Simon Peter, let's just try to put this behind us, okay? We'll try to act like maybe it didn't happen. No, 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 no. Jesus does something much, much, much bigger than that. He doesn't just say, I'm going to try to move beyond it. He says, Peter, it's as if it never happened. You're back in the game. Forgiveness to the point, it looks like this. Oh, I missed this slide. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Jesus shows His full forgiveness by inviting us to share in His ministry. So I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me well in these next few minutes, okay? You walk into the room this morning and you say, Rick, what, what, what about if you let Jesus down? Even after you, like Peter, have been following Him already for years. There's provision. Jesus never passes up the opportunity to forgive. In fact, Jesus this morning is here. He has come here. He is here. He is already speaking to people because He wants you to be free from the shame that you carry. Okay? That's, that's what Jesus... That's what Jesus is like. And it's okay when He comes to you. It's okay to run to Him. (laughs) We have all let Jesus down at some point. And Jesus says, not only do I forgive, but I put you back in the game. I want you to share in my ministry. I need you to work with me. And so I think there's some prayers that are going to be prayed this morning. Okay? And I think one of those prayers is going to be by somebody who says, Jesus, I've been following you for a while, like Peter had been following you for a while. But man, did I ever mess up. And I'm so stinking sorry. And I would give anything if somehow I could get beyond this mess. I I wouldn't even dare think about doing ministry stuff. I'm so sidetracked. Because of what happened back there. And Jesus is wanting you back in the game. And it's okay just to run to Him. Because He's come here for you to do that. I think there's others who would say, Hey, Rick, you know, I want to pray a prayer, but it's not that one. Because I don't think I've ever been a follower of Jesus to this point yet. Or not really committed to that. But man, do I have stuff in my life where I have let Jesus down over and over again and always kind of knew that I was. And I want to be forgiven. And Jesus is here to say, come on. (laughs) You can run into my arms too. And we're going to put you in the game as well. So let me pray for you, okay? Father, in Jesus' name. I know that you will hear the prayers that have prayed in these moments in this room. There will be people who will be saying, I have served you, followed you, but somehow I've let you down and I need forgiveness. And I'm so sidetracked. No way would I think about even trying to serve because I'm, I'm living with guilt and shame. 
But Lord, I know that you want to forgive and put them back in the game. And I pray for people this morning who want to be forgiven of their sin and begin following you. And so right now, I know that you hear us pray. And so if you want to pray, pray a prayer in your own heart and your own thoughts that would go something like this. Jesus, I confess to you that I have sinned. And I am sorry. And I open my heart right now to the forgiveness that you're willing to offer me. I'm falling into your arms, Jesus. I will serve you as you call me to do so. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.